This is episode 264 with running coach, prolific podcaster, and Mr. Rambling Runner himself, Matt Chittum. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is with my fellow runner and podcaster, Matt Chittum. Matt has experienced a whole bunch of setbacks lately, from illness to injury to completely blowing up at a goal race that he publicly discussed as very important to him. How do we bounce back from obstacles like this? How do we productively navigate setbacks so that we can keep moving forward? The comeback is our topic for today. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving, because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, how to get stronger in a running-specific way, smarter training tips for long runs, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, and you'll see every video that we have. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where all of this started. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. And a big thanks to Ice Barrel for supporting this episode. Go to icebarrel.com strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for $125 off your own barrel. I just brought a nice barrel to the Endeavor Run running retreat last month, and it was a huge hit. You can see it in action on a few of our latest YouTube videos. I love it because cryotherapy has been shown to improve your mood, reduce anxiety, and reduce inflammation. Use the code STRENGTHRUNNING at icebarrel.com STRENGTHRUNNING to get $125 off your barrel. Stick around to the end, and you can hear more about why I love Ice Barrel. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, one of the few supplements that I think are worth your time. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop if you wanted to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. I try to have one serving every day of AG1 to help me cover my nutrition bases and for a nice boost of midday energy. You can see all those details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. And a quick time out to thank you, my listeners. We just spent about a week as the number one running podcast in the United States and got several amazing reviews in the last few days. And I just wanted to say that I really appreciate your support. All right. Our guest today is Matt Chittum, the host of the Rambling Runner podcast and the Road to the Trials podcast. 
He's a runner, he's a running coach, and a super fan of the sport. He's also starting a very fascinating project called Relay, where he's pulled together some of the biggest players in the running industry to create the most collaborative multimedia content possible. You can learn more about it at patreon.com slash relay. My discussion with Matt Chittam today is on something that we all face as runners, setbacks, obstacles, failures, the inevitable experience of coming up short. Often our success as runners stems from our ability to bounce back and keep the ball rolling. Because after all, even the best runners in the world fail to reach their goals. And we're focusing on three distinct types of setbacks today, injuries, illness, and poor races. Each presents its own opportunities, so I hope you find actionable strategies to help you navigate these inevitable challenges. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matt Chittam. All right, Matt, welcome back to the show. We're talking about comebacks today, and this is like your comeback on the Strength Running Podcast, so welcome. Brett, you couldn't have a first-timer on the comeback episode. That would just be sacrilegious. <laughs> Here I am. I'm coming back, not only from some of my running foibles, but also back on the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to explore this topic of of setbacks and adversity and how we can effectively bounce back from you know those inevitable obstacles that we're all going to experience as runners. You know, if you've been run- if you've been running for a long enough time, you're going to experience a setback, and sometimes they're going to be fairly large setbacks. So, you know, I, I think most of the obstacles we face as runners fall into the categories of injuries, illnesses, or just having a really bad race, especially when that race is a goal race. So I'd love to start with injuries and illnesses, because I think the approach to these is is roughly very similar. Um, and I'd love to start with you as a case study, Matt. You recently came back from COVID. So let's start at the beginning. How'd you get sick? When'd you get sick? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I have plenty of injury stories to tell you as well. But let's start with COVID. I completely agree with that. So uh, my wife and I and our two kids, we headed down to um, Orlando, Florida. We did you know, our uh, Disney and Universal combo trip. We were really excited for that. So this was in July. We left on July 12th for that. And while we were there, first, my wife got COVID. Uh, you know, we didn't test until she got home. But right as we were leaving, it was, you know, she started to present symptoms and we brought our KN95 masks and she was masking up and, you know, she was actually masking up like in our room, like while she was sleeping because we're all in one room together. You know, so she was like, she was suffering for sure. Um, and then we came home and then I started developing symptoms. My kids had just had COVID. Uh, so we, we kind of kept our distance as much as parents can, but um, they, they end up not getting COVID uh, a second time around. Uh, but that's what we got while we were down at Disney and Universal. And I, I started um, started getting symptoms. I think it was like two days after I came home. And you know, I have I've been vaccinated. I've been boosted. So I was in a pretty good spot. Um, but at the same time, and you've seen this as well, I'm sure, not just with your athletes, but just in, in society in general, I was worried. Um, about long COVID. I think we both know people in the running industry uh, who who are currently experiencing long COVID to a degree that people would be surprised to which they are experiencing it. And it was scary because like, the people that I know who have, who have long COVID, they're suffering and they are perfectly healthy people, more healthy than I am before they got COVID. So I was really worried. So um, it was one of those things where, you know, I was in a position because we had just gotten home 
where I was able to really like as um, Monica Gutierrez, who was on the show recently, um, talked about she, you know, she's one of the foremost leaders in America um, on long COVID. Okay, and she talked about the idea of radical rest, especially in the first five days, and that was something that I was able to do. My wife wasn't quite able to because we were we were away, right? And she wanted to experience the vacation with the kids and all of that, and she pushed herself pretty hard. But um, but she's she's fine now. I'll say that. Um, but did the radical rest thing, and even with that, like I would, you know, even now, Jason, like I'm back to running, and running is fine. But I still have a couple symptoms that are lingering, and it's been a while. They're not debilitating by any sense of any stretch of the imagination but like you know for me covid especially this strain presented itself as like just a nasty mucusy head cold for me that was like 95 percent. i had some body aches no fever but it was just a really really nasty head cold and some of that persists you just heard me cough right there um so like you know when i wake up in the morning i can still feel it but ultimately it's, it's gone now but i was frankly i was worried about the long COVID thing. Cause even though it's not a high percentage of people, you get those anecdotes every once in a while. And you're like, Oh my gosh, like I can't believe that person's still dealing with it. Like a year later, two years later, even sometimes, and you know who I'm talking about. And it's, uh, it, it gets you worried, but luckily I've, I've seemingly come out the other side of it and, and running, um, has, has kind of resumed back to normal. So that's kind of like the full, like the general scope of how it went down. Yeah, I know this is affecting a lot of runners. Actually, just a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out at a running retreat with author and coach Matt Fitzgerald, and he's been very public about his long COVID. That's who I was referring to. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, he's he's been really struggling and hasn't run in quite a long time. I think this idea of radical rest is really interesting. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? You know, like what is what is the approach when you first learn that you have COVID and, and this isn't necessarily, you know, your medical advice, but this is your, uh, your knowledge from this long COVID, you know, this long hauler medical expert. And I think that's a valuable perspective to share. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great question. Cause this is exactly why I had Monica Verdusco Gutierrez on the show was for this exact point. Cause not only is she one of the foremost leaders on this topic in America, but she's also a runner. Like she's qualified for Boston. She's run the New York City Marathon. She is she's qualified for Boston actually twice. So she not only can approach it from the medical perspective, but also from a running perspective. Because we all know, like, okay, all right, you need to rest, right? That's like that is not a prescription. That is a term of art. Like, what does rest mean? It depends on who you're saying it to, right? So that is why she puts that description ahead of it. The idea of radical rest. What does that mean? It means you need to stop period. Just stop. Put your butt on the couch and rest. Legitimately rest. Okay. Not just do 75% of your normal schedule. Maybe run a few less miles because you think you can still get out there and it's not super debilitating. So you don't want to lose any fitness. And No, no, no. Cut it out. Cut that nonsense out. Sit on the couch for five days and rest, right? If you need to call it a work, call it work. If you can't call it a work, then figure something else out and make it so like that when you're not at work, you can really rest and, and really go out of your way to give that gift to yourself and lean on the people in your life to allow that to happen if you can. And I know this can be coming from a privileged position for some, and I understand that, but do your best to embrace the radical rest idea as much as you can, given your circumstances. 
And this was her idea. This is not my, I'm not a doctor. I'm just repeating what she said with the idea of the more you can do that, the less likely it is that these viral load you know, issues will persist. Now, this is not simply a COVID thing, right? There are other viruses that can present themselves in this long fashion. And obviously, COVID, long COVID is, is of the moment, but there's plenty of other um, viruses that you know can create this kind of elongated year, two year, even longer than that uh, problem for people, um, but they're just not quite as known. And her, her point was this, like the more stress you put on the system early in the process, the longer and harder it's going to be potentially to get back to baseline. And that was the idea. And that can be hard for runners, right? We're, we've all been there, right? We've all we've all seen like the running memes out there, like the person who's like, I think the running meme is like, you're like, the person's like in like a doctor's office and like a, like a nurse or doctor leaning over, over them. And they're like, all right, I want you to take it easy this weekend. And like the thought bubble in the runner's head is like, I guess I'll run 18 instead of 20, <laughs> right? Like, that, like this, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about zero. And then building up from there because you don't want to be stuck in that situation. And this is the classic idea of like, if you're going to keep, you know, metaphorically picking the scab of this, well, then it's just, it's never going to heal. And that's not what you want. And, um, you know, it's, it's frustrating. It's annoying, especially like I'm building up for a marathon and this absolutely interrupted my marathon cycle. No question about it. And now I'm in a condensed marathon cycle again. And it's not the best feeling, but ultimately I'm running free and healthy. And that is a good feeling. Yeah. And I, I think it's helpful to always remember that the radical rest, you know, that initial phase of really tackling whatever issue you're dealing with, whether it's COVID, whether it's a different illness or even an injury that's required to then be able to go do what you love, which is running, you know, and, and I have this philosophy that often you can't do two things at one time. If you are sick and you're training for a marathon, you really can't recover from your illness while training for a marathon. You can't do both effectively. You also can't treat an injury while at the same time you're training for a race. You know, you're, you're going to be mediocre at both. Your training is going to be compromised and your treatment is going to be compromised. And it's the same philosophy that you have to focus on one thing at a time. And I think it's a much more productive and effective approach. So when you first started, can I jump in there? Can I jump yeah, in there sure. Because there is, there is this middle ground and all, and the runners know it well, because this is the one that like we always default to where there's some injuries where, and I know you've had a lot of physical therapists on the show and they talk about this, where it's like for some injuries, like they don't wait for you to be at like a hundred percent to start running again. Right. They'll use like the one to 10, you know, pain management scale. Like if you're at like a four or less for a lot of injuries, you can kind of pick it back up again, right? There's some that don't fall into that, like say posterior tip, like they want you at zero pain and then you can pick it up. But there's other ones where it's like, yeah, if you're a four or less, you can train through this, right? But if it gets up higher, then we have to scale it back or stop. And I think that we all as runners oftentimes default to that, like, oh, this must be one of those, one of those issues, right? And this is not one of those. This is like posterior tip. We want to knock it out before we pick it back up again. Instead of saying, oh, it's not too bad. And I have a runner um, who did the same exact thing, right? So she had, she's, she's a master's athlete. She got COVID. I was like, all right, five days, nothing rest. 
And she was, she, you know, we have a great relationship. She's awesome. She's a truly a wonderful person, but she wanted to push back at first. And she was like, I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. I'm feeling fine. Like, I'm like, I'm not comfortable with you going out there and doing this. And, but she wanted to do it anyway. So she just, you know, people are going to do what they want to do ultimately. So she went out there and a couple of days later, she's like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm, you know, <laughs> no. I'm completely wiped. And now my symptoms are coming up and, and she's fine now, but it, it did potentially elongate the process for her. Uh, and this is another, 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 Another point um, in that in that argument of like, just make sure you take care of yourself first, get it down to zero and then pick it back up. Yeah, I think it's particularly important with COVID because of the risk of the long hauler symptoms and just the nature of this very, very fascinating disease that affects everyone so differently. You know, you don't really know how your body is going to respond to it. And uh, I think my earlier point was more that you can't treat an injury and train but you can certainly treat an injury and do a little bit of some running or strength training or cross training. It's just not really going to look like your training that you were doing previously. And, and I think that's an important distinction. So did you take your own advice? Did you take a bunch of time off right when you started getting your COVID symptoms? I did. Well, I should say I interviewed um, Dr. Gutierrez after I'd gone through that, but I did shut it down. So I, I, I 100% did. Um, so I was, I was happy about that. I'm glad that I did that in retrospect. Uh, but even then, even when I started getting back into it, I was like, I don't know, man. Like, like on, on day six, I wasn't like, all right, eight miles, crank it up. Like I was, um, first day was a walk run. Like it wasn't easy. I second day was like a three miler. And I was like, I think, I think for about a week and a half, my easy pace, my easy effort was about a minute to a minute and a half slower than my pre-COVID easy effort. And it was like, so we're talking like, you know, normally I was typically running my easy paces around 845 to 905, kind of right, right, right around that range. Um, where all of a sudden I was like doing 1030s and I'm like, I don't want to go faster than this or it's not going to feel easy anymore. And that was like for the first Again, for maybe the first 10 days after coming back, we're talking about like a three, four mile run, not even going that far. Um, obviously, it was you know, August, so it was hot. So there was that element. But at the same time, um, just going by effort, uh, I'm glad that I did, because if I was really focused on my paces or the watch, I would have it would have I would have buried myself, you know, because I would have all of a sudden been running like marathon, half marathon effort just hit my easy paces in the beginning. You don't want to do that. That sounds that sounds pretty terrible. Now, how much how many days off from running did you actually take? I took six days off. Six days off. Okay. I had COVID in very early June and I took eight days off. I think that meant for me about four days of absolutely no activity whatsoever. And then on day five, I started going for these 15-minute walks just in my local neighborhood you know, this was not a power walk. I was not trying to stay fit, you know, quote unquote, in any sense of the word. This was more like, I just need some fresh air. I need to get out of, you know, my house and, and just see the sun because my body started rebelling against me because I just was spending so much time on the couch. I actually, there was one night where I couldn't sleep because my lower back hurt so much from inactivity. I was, I took radical rest to such an extreme for a couple days that, that my body just tightened up. It was so angry with me that 
I was literally doing core and flexibility work, you know, at 1230 at night because I couldn't sleep and my lower back hurt. I, I was in my living room and the, I found a position where my lower back didn't hurt. And I was like on the floor in this weird position. But then I ended up falling asleep because it was like 11 o'clock at night and I fell asleep on the floor and then I woke up in even more pain. And it was just this comedy of errors. And I decided, my God, I need to get outside and, and really just start moving a little bit. But I ended up taking eight days off total. And when I started running again, I was running, you know, I basically did a lot of four mile runs that week, just, you know, kind of bare minimum, you know, 30, 33 minutes. I'm pretty sure I was running anywhere from 20 to 60 seconds slower per mile on my easy pace too. And I remember the following weekend. So this was about two weeks after my symptoms. I went on a bike ride and it was about 8,500, 9,000 feet altitude. I was out in the mountains. It didn't have a lot of elevation gain, but I got buried out there. It was such a hard, you know, it was only a 17, 18 mile bike ride, but I could tell that my body was certainly not ready for anything strenuous. So I think this idea of not only radical rest, but then once that rest is over, there needs to be this on-ramp back to normal training. And I think that on-ramp is what often gets missed with runners. You know, we're like, okay, we took a week off. Can I jump back into my training plan? It's like, no, 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 we need that on-ramp. Can you talk, us, talk to us a little bit more about what your on-ramp to normal training looked like? Absolutely. And that's why, so we're, we're talking, you know, you're seeing me pick up my phone. So I want to make sure I have like my Strava, my Strava app um, out so I can actually walk you through like the exact mileage. But first of all, I did the same thing in terms of um, the two days before, actually yeah, the two days before my first walk run, I did yeah, walking my dog around the block. Like, all right, like, how does this feel? Right. And like, that sounds like kind of a little funny, but like, it was like legit. Like I, I, that wasn't like a, an automatic, like this is going to feel good type feeling. It certainly wasn't. Um, let's see here. I'm going to have the exact time. All right. So you know, my, I went for, yeah. So I came back on the 19th. Yeah. So my first activity was on day six. Okay. And it was a 3.34. So 40 minute walk run. That's what I did. Okay. Then I did the next day, four miles. The next day, 3.5 miles, then four miles. Then I know this is really exciting audio, four miles, four miles, and then a day off. And then I did six. So I basically did a week of four mile runs, all at like 10 minute pace, no up-tempo anything, not even strides. Okay. And I think that this was the next thing for me. So I had, once I started feeling good on my easy runs, I assumed, I didn't have like a hard opinion on this, but I just assumed that it was going to mean like, all right, rising tide lifts all boats by feeling good in my easy runs. I'm going to be feeling good in whatever kind of activity I'm doing, whatever kind of strenuous activity I was doing. And I had the exact same experience as you. My first time doing a workout, and I'm putting workout in quotes here because it was like eight by one minute hard, two minute jog, which like. When I'm like, have even the some level of fitness, I don't even call that a workout. That's just extended strides. Um, but that was like my first time doing a, a quote unquote workout. And I got buried on that workout. I got a video. I did like, I put like, it's like a YouTube short. I put on like my Instagram reels or whatever. And I'm like, I had just finished. I'm like gasping after I finished. Again, this is 
eight by one minute and with two minute jog. And, um, and I did it really early in the morning too. So it hadn't gotten like super duper hot yet. And it was, it was hard. It, there's no other word for it. It was hard. And it was also frustrating. So I'm looking at it like, all right, first week of August, I got a marathon, middle of October. And not only do I have a marathon, but this marathon has 1,200 feet of elevation gain. I'm struggling through one-minute strides. And I'm going to be doing a race that has nearly a 1 to 50 mile to elevation gain ratio, which for a marathon is pretty legit. You don't see a lot of road marathons with that kind of elevation ratio. And I was worried. And I think I put it out there to my coach. I was like, all right, like right, I'm not going to do the marathon. He's like, hold on. Just wait. Just wait. Don't say that just yet. Um, he goes, that may be the case, but there's no reason to say that yet. And ultimately, I, I kind of pulled back on that feeling. But it was definitely getting back into workouts was the same ramp up that getting into easy runs took. It was like, all right, like, is it kind of coming along, coming along, coming along? And and even now, like, so I did. So this week, or I should say today, today I did kind of like the same sort of like extended strides kind of thing. I did 10 by 45 second hill repeats. Right. So not really a workout, not really strides. So um, but it's a kind of like a, a kind of an easy thing to do. So if you like it's kind of nice to do two of these in a week leading to an easy run. Instead of like a hard workout, you kind of do two of these, like a 10 by one minute and then an easy run, and then like a 10 by 45 second hill stride, and then an easy run or two easy runs, and then a long run. So that's what this week is for me. And like I felt I felt really good today. But at the same time, I still had congestion that I like that I didn't normally have. Like I'm still like, and maybe TMI for some people, but I'm still blowing like snot rockets like every four minutes on the run. We're like, I would do that like maybe once a run pre-COVID. Like even now, like constantly, right? So it's just it's just different. And I'm still, again, I feel like my fitness is getting back, but you still notice little things every now and then where you're like, this wasn't the case before. Remind me not to go running with you anytime soon, Matt. I'm running. This is why, this may, probably one of the 15 reasons why I ended up running solo. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the worst, the worst the thing I had to worry about was that it's the first day back at school, so I wasn't the only one on the road today. I had to, I had to make sure that you know the kids waiting for the bus weren't going to be you know weren't going to be uh, hitting the crossfire. <laughs> oh man! So it has been about a month or so since you've you know quote unquote recovered from COVID, started running again, and you're still having these symptoms. Would, would you say that your training is back to normal from a volume perspective. So it, it does seem like you're taking a little bit more time to get back into more difficult workouts. But are you where you kind of, you know, should be in terms of volume and long run distance? I'm not where I would be if I hadn't had COVID. So I'm right now in like the mid to high 40s from a volume perspective with one day off per week. So that's not bad. That's not a bad spot. My long runs aren't quite as long as I'd want them to be right now but they're where they need to be considering my time off. Um, and then also the difference is just like, just like fitness is off, right? To put that in perspective. So say two weeks ago I did, or a week and a half ago, I did like a 20 minute, a classic like threshold workout, right? I did like a warm up, did a 20 minute threshold run. And then I did a cool down, right? A, a classic workout that a lot of people do, right? Uh, especially early on in a build. Right. And then I think I ran it like I didn't run it great, Jason. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not one of those people who like has the watch going for me. I have like the, the expensive watch for sure. But at the same time, like I don't I utilize it after the fact. So during the run, I only have two settings. I have total time, total miles. I don't 
I don't want to know the splits. Okay. And all of a sudden that's just, just, that's just a negative for me. So afterwards I look at the splits and I'm like, oh gosh, like this isn't, <laughs> those will be a little faster than this. Um, I got the same kind of workout next week, as we, but it'd be for 30 minutes. Right. So you, you hope it'll be a certain time, but you know, to put it in perspective, I was training for a marathon in the spring. What the, what my 20 minute tempo was 10 days ago was what oftentimes was my marathon pace in the spring to put that in perspective of kind of how it has gone. And it's not like I took this huge time off. It was only like, cause I didn't run when I was in Disney and then I took time off from COVID. So it was ended up being around, you know, I think it was a 16 to 18 day, no running break, but it was more just like coming back what that felt like. So, you know, this is, it's, I'm in a very different spot fitness wise than I would have expected to be. Yeah, for sure. And it's really funny kind of talking about this because, you know, I am so aggressive when it comes to not taking time off from training for weather, for motivation, for I just don't feel good today. You know, part of being a consistent runner means that you have to run consistently and you can't just take time off for these reasons that, you know, my any of my coaches that I've had over my career would just kind of shake their head at and not really agree with me on. But on the flip side to that, I am so aggressive with taking time off when it comes to more serious things like getting really sick, getting injured or something like that, where you actually have to take time off so that you can then get back into training. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about a recent injury of yours and and how you approached your comeback from that, because I think it's going to be a little bit different from COVID. COVID really responds well to that, you know, shut everything down let's practice radical rest and then let's have a slow, gradual ramp up when it comes to getting back into our normal training, especially when it comes to the intensity side of our training. When it comes to the faster training sessions, we have to be much more gradual and conservative when it comes to that. With an injury, it can often be different. And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning with, you know, it kind of depends on what kind of injury you have. It depends on how severe it is. It depends on, can you do some cross training and strength training without any pain? Because that'll certainly help your comeback to normal training. So let's transition a bit to injuries and how you came back from your latest one. Yeah, let's talk about it. So I, about last, last spring, this was the previous spring, I had a knee bursitis issue and that was a tricky one because it was a, an injury that was misdiagnosed at first by PT um, who, again, he's a very good PT. This is not on him. Just things happen, right? And it's just, you never, you never quite know, um, with certain things. And I ended up seeing a new PT, uh, Dwayne Scotty, who, you know, well, um, and you know, I went down to his spot in New Haven cause I live pretty close to there. And he's like, Hey, this is knee bursitis. Like, we thought it was something very different. So I had taken that point, like two months off, no running and was like, I even had trouble, like with some of the biking stuff I was doing. So I like went all the way down to zero fitness wise so i see Dwayne, and i'm like all right well so he's like puts me through like a two-hour diagnostic test he goes all right here's the deal i'm like 100 sure it's knee bursitis this is what this is so i'm like all right well what does that mean he goes well you could probably run tomorrow I'm like i haven't run for two months so he's like you could probably run tomorrow I'm like what do you mean i can run tomorrow like i haven't run this is like the exact opposite i was expecting and it was so funny because it was the first time i've ever had this kind of injury before where the recovery was like purely dependent on like activating the muscles around the area 
and making sure that they're firing, that they're strong while building up slowly within it. Right. So it was like, all right, like starting off at like two miles, two and a half miles, 20, 30 minutes isn't going to hurt you. The thing is, that you have to do these exercises. You have to do, again, the, the, the single leg squats. If you can do them, you do the reverse lunges, you do the step ups, you do like the, the a lot of the side to side stuff to really engage like the upper glutes and the hips and a lot of that stuff and doing the clamshells, the myrtle series, all these things that I know you've talked on the, on these episodes about so many times where once I started doing those, I'm doing them every day. I it took all the pressure off the stuff that was causing the knee bursitis and it faded away so quickly, which for me, this was the first time where I had often defaulted to rest and, and to, to my detriment, right? Where, like you said, like oftentimes, like you will push through things. I oftentimes would just be like, oh, rest will fix it. I just had always, like, oh, rest will fix it, rest will fix it. And this was a classic case of um, I was just assuming rest would fix it. And then unknowingly, because it was misdiagnosed, the misdiagnosis fed into my preconceived notion of that restful fixing, it will fix it. So I didn't push back. I was like, all right, sounds good to me. We'll just kind of figure it out. And for me, the main, the two main lessons were, first of all, seeing a PT who is a runner and who works with runners. This is important for a lot of reasons. Some of it is lingo, right? So when someone talks about like a workout, right? Like as a runner, we know what, what a workout means, right? If you're like a power lifter, and you're talking about a workout and you're seeing the same PT, when you say workout, it may mean something completely different, right? Or like you're a different athlete, right? So I was seeing a PT, he works with like a lot of wrestlers, right? So they're using completely different lingo for their workouts than I'm using. And that's funny because like after the fact, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like we were speaking at times two different languages, right? But we're both talking about athletics. So seeing a running-based PT was important to that because he knows, he understands what I'm talking about, right? And I understand, and I understand what he's talking about. In addition to that, the, the key thing here was also the idea of like, and I know this is not new for you for sure, but the idea of the little things aren't the little things. And really coming to grips with the fact that, you know, we aren't dogs. We can't just like get up from our nap and start sprinting around in the backyard. I wish that was the case, but it's not. As evidenced by the fact that I like tweaked my groin the other day, like playing like monkey in the middle with my son. I just I can't be doing that anymore. I have to do something to warm myself up. So that was one of those things. And now like it was a great learning experience for me because now before basically every run, I'm doing the reverse lunges. I'm doing the step ups. I'm doing like the slow side to side walks kind of back and forth. It takes me three to five minutes. And I'll tell you what, man, like I just haven't been injured since then. And it was a great learning lesson because it really, you know, when you have to take two months off, like it really hammers at home because coming back from that, um, especially as a master's runner, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. You don't want to be put in that situation, right? I'm not, I'm not a you know 21 year old, 20 year old bas- college basketball player coming back from reconstructive ankle surgery where like, yeah, it takes me six to nine months. But once I'm, once I'm full go, I can get back to fitness pretty quick. Like this was not that. And I'm so glad that I finally learned my lesson on this front, because thankfully, once I got that ramp up going, I've been able to stay healthy. I think I've got a crick in my neck from shaking my head so vigorously when you were talking, because I'm I'm in such agreement with so much of what you just said. Uh, Dwayne Scotty is a great PT and really knows his stuff. And 
I think it's one of the most important things for runners to focus on when they get hurt is to find a physical therapist who either specializes in treating runners or is a, I don't want to say high level runner, but an experienced runner who, who knows their stuff about the sport, because that is going to increase the quality of your care. And I think the talking about lingo and language and making sure that the words you're using are fully understood it really resonates with me because, you know, when I, when I took my USATF coaching course, one of the big goals of that course is so that when coaches talk to each other, when coaches actually use words like tempo run, fartlek, training session, training cycle, what do you actually specifically mean? And, and it's getting formal definitions for all those words right so that you're actually being effective when you're communicating. And the same is true in a physical therapy office. So uh, yeah, if you want to hear from Dwayne Scotty, he's in episode 141 of this podcast. We talked all about how to keep your hamstrings very healthy. And um, I like this idea too, Matt, of the fact that you had to engage in movement to clear up this injury. And, and it's almost the, the exact opposite approach of if you were to get COVID. So we need to be practicing movement. Movement is medicine. You know, motion is lotion. Um, and it's probably a very good endorsement of, you know, my approach of sandwiching each run between a dynamic warm-up and some post-run core and strength work. Because a lot of those exercises you're talking about are, you know, pulled from the worlds of physical therapy. And, and they're so good at... Um, you know, preventing an injury, but also treating existing injuries. Uh, you're still you're still doing all that work before and after, right? I am. So I'm not doing the full routine that I had to do when I got the bursitis because that was very like formulated for that issue. Once it cleared up, I was able to kind of like pare it down to like kind of like the 80-20 rule. I don't have to do 100%. It's like just focus on the 80% that really matters, that really you know, can, can handle most of this, especially for a healthy runner. And that's, that's been key for me, right? So it's the leg swings, front and back, side to side. It's the reverse lunges. It's the step ups. It's the like getting you like in your defensive stance and doing like a slow walk to the right and like a slow walk to the left, doing that stuff. And then like a couple high knees, a couple butt kicks and ready to go. And it's worked just fine for me. Like, and that's again, everyone's different, but that sort of routine, it kind of checks all the boxes for me and it gets me going. Also, I, I don't just head out the door and run. That's the other thing. As the first quarter mile, um, truth be told, my Strava's not on. So, but I first quarter mile, I walk, right? Unless it's like, because I'm a, I'm usually run in the mornings. So like if, it, if I'm going for a run, let me a little late in the day, and I've been moving a lot, maybe I'll just head out for a run. But if it's in the morning, I make sure that I, I kind of walk into the run, right? And that's one of those things that's been important for me. I think I noticed the difference right away. And when I was reading Michael Crowley's book, which is so good, um, Out of Thin Air, uh, about uh, runners out of Adidas, um, uh, Adidas, Adidas, Adaba. Is that right? I keep messing it up. Out of Ethiopia. Um, and he follows uh, the runners out there, which was great because uh, Michael Crowley is also a 64 minute half marathoner. So he's obviously very, very talented. He can't keep up with anybody during the course of this book, which is hysterical because he's obviously super, super fast. Um, but he talks about how, like, he never quite knew when the run started. Because they would kind of like walk into it and then they're kind of jogging, but kind of not. And then all of a sudden they're kind of jogging more. And he was always like unsure because he has his watch 
and like they're all going by time, like 60 minute run or 75 minute run. And he never knew where when to press start. Because he's like, I don't know if we've started yet. Did we start yet? We started walking, but we're kind of running. And now we're kind of running a little bit faster. Now we're kind of running a little bit faster. And like that kind of hit home for me because I'd already kind of was kind of doing that. And once I heard that, I'm like, oh, and these people are pros. So if they're doing if they're starting their runs like that, then I have no shame doing it for me. And that's kind of like my pre-run routine is kind of the, the movement side, then the, the, the walking into the run. I love that, too. I love that, too. And Michael Crawley was on... Uh, the the strength running podcast too uh, a while back I think episode one I'm gonna get every single guest that you've had in, into the course of this conversation I know I know this is like a, a grand tour of past podcasts <laughs> uh, you know I, I think one of the more effective mindsets to have about treating injuries is that you have to go after the treatment of your injury just as aggressively as you went after the training for a race that you might be be experiencing. So if you're training for a marathon, you know, you've got your workouts and you get your long run, you get your dynamic warm up and you're doing all these things and you're dialed in every day. If you get hurt, we should be dialed in every day on whatever treatment approach is best for your injury, whether it is radical rest, you know, if you get a stress fracture, something like that, you really can't do much for that. You have to rest and let that bone heal. And you need to be as aggressive with resting, as radical with resting as you are with your training. And if it's something like a knee bursitis that actually responds much better to movement, to strength training, to, you know, some maybe cycling or very short, easy runs, we need to really focus on that and be super aggressive with it. Because, you know, that's, that's kind of this idea of focusing on one thing at a time. Let's focus on your treatment now. Well, you're injured. You can't focus on your training. Your training right now is getting healthy. That means a little bit of running, doing that strength work, and maybe going out of your way to find a physical therapist who's really good and understands runners. Yeah, and if you want to get like what really hits this is Hillary Allen's book, right? She comes, she's she's coming back from an, an epic and extremely scary fall um, during her sky racing career, and now she is back. She just ran UTMB last weekend, um, but she almost died. She almost died falling down a mountain, right? And you can imagine what that meant from an injury perspective. She basically broke or sprained everything. Um, and you don't come back from that unless you attack the physical therapy side of things. And I had a much watered down version of this when I had reconstructive ankle surgery in college, where I was like, all right, like they cut all of the ligaments on the outside of my ankle, tightened them, and reattached them. One of them was shredded so they took tissue from my foot and brought it up and connected to the the ligament and like that was an exhaustive rehab to get back to play the following year right so i had that surgery two weeks after the season ended and like i barely made it back for the first practice and so that was a very very long rehab and i've never worked harder than doing all that pt work and the pt work did not end on the first day of practice like i was doing all the stuff and it's so silly like i'm doing the silliest things jason i'm like I'm like sitting there in a, in a chair with like, like a, like a barefoot, And I'm like, now I'm actually like, I'm playing it out as I'm talking to you. Like I'm the, the, one of the, one of the drills was picking up marbles with my toes and then moving it and dropping the marble into a cup and trying to keep my legs still as I'm doing it. So I'm just moving my ankle and trying to like, you know, cause I'm getting next. I haven't used my toes like in two months cause I was in a cast. So I'm trying to build up all these little muscles where I can actually work on like the big muscles it was the, the craziest stuff, but I had to work harder than that 
during that six to nine months doing the PT work than at any other point in my life with any sort of athletic, with any athletic endeavor. And it was not what I wanted to be doing, right? I didn't, I was so sick of writing the alphabet with my big toe in a cold, cold pool. But like, that's what I had to do like five times a day for like six months. And it was just like, that's just the way it was. That reminds me of my senior year in college when I had this minor little foot injury. It wasn't a big deal, but I couldn't run. It just was too painful to run on. And I was able to go pool running and do a a fair amount of, you know, core and strength work and mobility and stuff like that. And I was exercising for two and a half hours a day. I was doing double sessions in the pool with probably 30 minutes of strength and mobility work. And, And after a week of that, I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to get back to normal training because I only have to run 70 or 80 miles in a week. I'm, I'm pool running so much more than that, that 70 miles a week, 10 miles a day is going to feel like a vacation. So I think you're absolutely right that sometimes the treatment is just as uh, time burdensome as the actual training that you're going through. And that's a great illustration of the fact that you've got to focus on the treatment just as much as the training if you really want to get better. And, and I know my example is a little and weird. The hard part, Jason, you know this too, is that the hard part is that like, not only is it just exhaustive, just as exhaustive and oftentimes more time consuming, it's also, you get no kudos for this, no. right? It's not even Strava kudos. Like you're doing this in silence in complete anonymity, right? For runners, that's one thing. If you're a member of a team, it's like, guess what? Your teammates are not there. You are doing this alone. Even if you're on campus and you're a college athlete, like you are by yourself doing this, which makes it harder, right? When you're doing stuff by yourself and there's no social reward for it, there's nothing. You're just suffering in silence to a degree. Like this is why, like, you know, those all the rage with those massive online courses, right? They're like the free massive online courses. They call them the MOOCs. Like you go like, go to Harvard for free, right? Using these online courses, right? They're free. However, it was like a 98% dropout rate. Not because people couldn't do the work. But the problem was that, you know, when it came, Friday night came, you have this free course. No one even knows you're in it. Are you going to like go do that? Or are you going to go hang out with your friends instead, right? It became this very obvious thing where like, hey, I get, I'm getting no social benefit here. And I'm, only, I'm the only one doing it. No one even knows I'm doing it. I can just, I'm just going to pass. And like sometimes with rehab, it feels that way where you're just kind of doing it alone in silence and you're just like, oh, I just don't want to do it today. And it can just, it can be so easy to rationalize not doing it or to give kind of a half-hearted effort. Because it's not actually what you want to be doing, right? right. You want to be out there running. I, I didn't want to be in the pool for 45 minutes in the morning and then an hour and a half in the afternoon. That was not only not the thing I love to do, but it was also mind-numbingly boring. And I know it's a little weird because that wasn't really part of my treatment. That was just other exercise that I was capable of doing without aggravating my injury. So it really helped me stay in shape. And I was able to sort of bounce back without any you know, missed performances. But at the same time, man, it was great mental toughness training just to be in the pool for that long, to be focusing on all these things that I don't really want to focus on. So it, it's certainly, I think, a good mental exercise. It'll build a lot of mental toughness and, and confidence in yourself. Because if you can get through that, my God, the training almost becomes easy after that. There you go. Exactly. So Matt, I want to talk finally about how you can make a comeback from a bad race, because this now is a little bit different. 
And I think this is just as common, if not more common than some of the other problems that we can experience as runners like illness or injury, because a bad race happens to us all the time. You know, like I I do somewhat believe in the rule of thirds where a third of your performances are going to be just crap. A third are going to be mediocre and a third are going to be really good. And then within that third of really good performances, you might have 10, 20% that are PRs, breakthroughs, just really, really great performances of, of what you're capable of as a runner. But man, when you have a bad performance, it kind of eats at your soul as a runner. And it really hurts when it's a goal race, especially a race that you can't just, you know, come back from and do another one like a marathon or an ultra marathon. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when you have just a really bad goal race. All right. So I had a goal race this spring, the Eugene Marathon, something that I talked about a lot on my podcast. So we got the Ramley Runner podcast. I talked about it a lot. I had some solo episodes talking about my training and I really was into it for sure. And I was so excited. I'd never been out there. Tracktown USA, go on Pre's Trail. I was just so excited, Jason, for this. So I ran CIM the previous December, but that was like a condensed lead up into it. This was kind of post um all that stuff with the knee issue that happened. So I, I had a really condensed training cycle for CM. I had no expectations. I really didn't care what, how I did. I knew I wasn't prepared for it, but I was going out there anyway to do live shows. So whatever, I'll run the race, no big deal. But Eugene, that was a different story. I was going full out. I recovered from CIM very quickly. I was back up to, you know, basically full mileage again within four weeks coming home coming home from CIM. Um so it was it was game time, and I had a great training cycle. I really, really was happy and excited going into Eugene. So set up, go to Eugene, and I was really excited. So I was working with their marathon. We did a lot of live shows. I was really excited, and I stretched myself pretty thin going into that. So people who do these live shows, there's a lot of mental and emotional energy we pour into this. And it's not obvious to people who are just kind of witnessing it. But once you've done it before, it's kind of like once you finish one of these live shows, you are mentally exhausted. There's a lot of prep that goes into it and just a lot of energy, right? Because you want to be on. You want to go full go all the time. And it's hard to like it's hard for people to understand that if they've never done it before. But it, it's real. So I, looking back on it, did way too much stuff that <laughs> Way Matt, too much. Can we take a quick that? pause to really put some numbers behind this because I specifically remember you. I think did four live podcast recordings in one day. Is that true? It was four in eighteen hours. Okay, it wasn't all one day. But it was like Friday night and then leading into the next day, and then when I wasn't recording, I was meeting up with a ton of people. Like I was social the whole time. That is really hard. I have done one live recording of the show with an audience. It was with Matt Fitzgerald. He's come up twice now in this podcast. I, he needs to he needs to pay a sponsorship fee, I think. Um, <laughs> but it, I needed a vacation after that because it was so challenging mentally, psychologically, emotionally, just to be on. And even though it's not really any different than just having the person next to you, but having no audience or just doing it virtually, there's something about doing it live that is so draining it's like a big presentation at work you know you're not really expected to give four of them over an 18 hour window over two days and the fact that you did that i think i remember texting you like kudos to you my man like full respect i have no idea how you did that right i remember being like this 
this like a canary in the coal mine situation. <laughs> like my initial reaction since that text, I'm like, wait, am I biting off more than I can chew here? Um, not from like a presentation perspective, but more like from an energy perspective, right? I think the best comp- the best way to compare it to is like, you know, I've, I've worked in I worked in hybrid for a long time. You know that feeling when you're in a meeting and you're like you're about to chip into the conversation, but you're kind of waiting and you're like the the emotional buildup, knowing that you're going to say something, your heart's racing the whole time. And then you say it and your heart's racing the whole time. Then you finish, you're kind of looking around the table and you're still kind of like, at least for me, like I would always get really anxious during those moments. So if, if those 15 minutes felt like four hours of anxiety. And like afterwards, I'm like, take a deep breath. Like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted from that experience. Well, it was basically like an hour of that. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. So I'm not complaining. It's, 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 it's so much fun. I had a great, great experience, Eugene. However, morning of, um, going up to the, to, I stayed with, with Peter Bronca. We're heading over to the start line and you know he's an awesome guy. We park, we go up to the start line. Everything's normal. Doing my little warm up, ready to go, doing the exercises we talked about, walk over the starting line. I'm going to stand there, talk to people who actually listen to the show. It was great. We're like having a good time. Go out. Oh my God. I had, I've never experienced it before. It was like, it was a complete what the heck is going on moment. Um, two miles in, I was walking in this race. All right. I'm walking. I expected to run 315 to 320 that race. That's what my training was looking at. Um, I was walking two miles into the race. I think it was like a 1.9. I remember I walked across as what looking at the two mile sign. I'm like, oh my God, why does this feel so hard? It just felt so hard. So I didn't, like, I didn't physically have to walk. It was one of those moments of like, why does my marathon pace feel like I'm running a 5K right now? Like, I need to reset. I need to reset. All right, I'm going to do a two-minute walk break. I don't know what's going on with my body, but this is un- completely unsustainable. I just need to take a reset. All right, we can do this, right? Trying to flush everything out. All right, here we go. Start up again. Feeling good for the first half mile. After that, and then all of a sudden it comes comes on again. And I just feel like I'm at mile 23. And I was like, oh my God, like I cannot run this whole race like this. Like I am not going to be out here for six or seven hours feeling like I can't even run an easy pace without it feeling really, really bad. It kind of reminded me now that I've gone through the experience of like that first, like that first week after COVID in terms of like how like the effort levels, like how does this correlate to my normal pace? It's not even close. And it was like that feeling. It's like I hit the four mile mark and I'm like, and it's, I feel a lot of shame saying what I'm about to say, because that whole feeling of like, Hey, just push through. Like you're tougher than you think you are and all of that. But like I hit the four mile mark and I'm like, I have a choice right now. I can stop and walk back to the start line or am I going to be out here for the five hours, six hours and running some of this race, but not very much because this did not seem good. And I remember walking back. So I, I pulled the plug walking back the minute I turned around. And I basically literally like went over to the sidewalk and just started walking the other direction while everyone is running past me going the other direction. Everybody. And the people are like, hey, Matt, like if you are calling me out by name. Oh, my God. I've never in my life been so embarrassed. I just I didn't I didn't have a choice. I felt awful. And I and I've known to blame but myself. But my God, but it was embarrassing. It's embarrassing saying it now on your podcast. But it sucked. Um, And. The embarrassment didn't end that day. Like I was very public that I was running the race. I didn't have like a public goal or anything, but I was obviously running it. And it it sucked, man. Like it was it was the emotion behind it. And all of a sudden, like, oh my God, I have to now like 
I flew 3,000 miles to do a race to be away from my family, and I ran four miles. Like this is this is preposterous. And mentally and emotionally, it took a while to get over it. And I don't want to make it sound like melodramatic, but like it sucked, man. You put all the money, the time, the effort, the time away from your family. And that was the experience. And you're like, I have no one to blame but myself. Like I have a runner who ran Chicago last year. This poor woman. She literally at mile 12 got hit by an Uber driver on a bike. So someone was like, I had like an Uber delivery on a bike, crossed the Chicago Marathon course and T-boned her and like nailed her on mile 12. So like there goes her marathon, right? That wasn't what happened to me. It was completely self-inflicted. And that made it feel so much worse. And it just, just the embarrassment behind all of it. It was like, oh my gosh, this is, this isn't great, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I know it it is a little embarrassing when we have bad races, especially like this, when you're very public about it, you've got, you know, for you, you've got tens of thousands of people who know you're running Eugene, who are listening to your podcast, who are, you know, consuming all of this content around your upcoming performance. And and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, but I only ran like, you know, 20% of the race. And, and, and athletes I coach, right? So I'm sitting there right. like, I'm telling these people how to run a marathon. And like, here I am stopping at mile four. Like how embarrassing is this? <laughs> yeah, I think it's important though. Like we've got to not be embarrassed about bad performances because they happen to everyone. You know, it's just sort of like, it, it's like if you got embarrassed about getting old, like, look, it happens to everyone. It would be a silly thing to, to get embarrassed about. Uh, But I think this is a really good example of, you know, that old line, stress is stress. You didn't do a bunch, you didn't do a fast workout two days before the marathon. You didn't do a long run two days before the marathon. You instead put yourself under an enormous amount of psychological and emotional stress professionally, and also just kind of being on and and being kind of like the, the podcast host and that kind of personality. You do want to be social and talk to people and be helpful and be enthusiastic about what's going on that weekend. And, you know, if you're experiencing that level of arousal right before a marathon, it's really going to impact your performance. And, you know, when I was racing marathons, I'm not really racing marathons anymore, but I would turn into like a monk for the two weeks before the marathon, you know, during that taper phase where I didn't go out, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to take on any projects or anything stressful. And I was just trying to sleep a lot and eat well and just execute on my training. And, you know, if you had asked me, hey, will you go do a bunch of podcast recordings in front of a live audience, you know, the day or two before a marathon, I would just be like, you're crazy, man. I'm going to I'm going to have a terrible race. But there you, you, go. you tried. You're absolutely right. You, you went out there and, and you tried. And I do think this is a little bit of a different type of of comeback that you had to make, because I, I think the reason why you had a bad race is fairly clear. You know, you ex- overextended yourself right beforehand. And, you know, you're, you're a running podcaster, you're a coach, probably something you should have known, you know, yourself going into it. But, you know, it's like all of us, we all make mistakes. You know, it's kind of like the do as I say, not as I do approach. You know, I'm and not it's tough doing... Because like the CIM, I did a bunch of live shows. Same sort of thing. Saw a lot of people. I had a very, this, this was the hard part for me. It was like, how come I didn't feel this way at CIM, right? CIM, again, I went into it completely undertrained. So it was not an apples to apples comparison. But the first 16 miles of CIM, I felt great. I was out there, I was running like, 
I don't know, like 820 mile pace, seeing a bunch of people, ran some miles with Amelia Benton, who was using it as like a training race. She's a, a really high level freelance um, writing journalist, uh, running journalist uh, here in the space. I felt awesome. Like at mile 16, things went downhill, but that was just because of lack of training. Like that had nothing to do with how I approached the day. And I was like, how did CIM, which I did basically the same thing in prep. And Eugene goes so differently on race day. That was the hard part for me. And that's where I felt like a failure. I'm like, this can't just be the prep. These two things were so similar. And yet the experience was so different. So I think in actuality, it was the prep, but at first it wasn't so obvious to me because I, I did kind of have a comparison point that didn't illuminate that, um, you know, at first, but really there, there was no other thing. Cause like I did come home and like, I'm like, or maybe I got sick on the trip out. Right. Cause I flew out. I live in Rhode Island. I didn't live anywhere near Eugene. So I was like, maybe I got sick. Right. So part of me was like, I was kind of hoping not that I got COVID, but I was hoping that like I had a sickness that would manifest itself. Like, two or three days after the race. So I could be like, aha, that's what it was. I was sick. I didn't know it yet. Right. And that didn't happen to my chagrin, which is kind of funny to wish to wish for a sickness, but you know, it would have been an easy way to be like, Oh, no wonder that was it. it wasn't my fault, but it was my fault. So the, the hard part for me afterwards was I haven't had a lot of great experiences with the marathon, right? Some of them were self-inflicted and some of them were just like, Hey, what'd you expect? You didn't train great. You know, it's the way it goes, right? You chose to run a marathon undertrained. Yeah, you get what you pay for, right? Um, and the idea was like, I had this great training cycle and it still didn't work out. I know why, but it still hurts. And you're like, do I still want to do this again? Do I want to go through another cycle again? And, you know, stuff like that. So it was, I got to the point where I was kind of worried about like, not worried, but I was like, I became a little like, whatever about the whole thing. Right. I probably went through a two or three week period where like, you know, I could just pick up training right away. It was like I only ran four miles and I was tapered. So like there was no reason to just not jump back into training from a physiology, from from a physiological perspective. I could have easily done that. No problem. But mentally and emotionally, like I was not there. Like I was absolutely not there with like banging out long runs and workouts. I was like I was I definitely went through like a two or three week period of just like, yeah, whatever. When it, when it came to running and I knew, I knew it was short term. I didn't expect it to last very long, but when it was happening, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not re-engaging yet. I think it's important to give yourself that time to kind of reset emotionally, mentally before you get after it again with you, because you know, it's, it's just not really something that you can get over right away. You know, you might have an injury, you might be sick, but you also just might be a little burned out from being on with your training so much because doing 16 to 20 mile long runs and workouts every week, all within the context of a relatively high mileage marathon training plan, plus all the little things that are not little, that requires a lot of emotional energy to be able to execute. And you've got to have space in your life to do that. If you're dealing with you know, the outcome of a self-inflicted poor marathon, you probably just need some time to kind of get the engines back to neutral and and restart things. But I, I like what you did afterwards where you sort of just looked at the race and tried to figure out what happened. And I think when it comes to bad races, we all need to be detectives afterward. We all need to look back on our training log. 
we need to look back on what we did in the week and particularly the couple days leading up to that poor race and how we executed the race itself from a pacing perspective, perhaps from a fueling perspective, and, and really try to determine where did I make the misstep? And you just set a line that I am definitely going to be stealing, which is if you run a marathon undertrained, you're going to get what you pay for. And, and I think that is likely one of the bigger issues when it comes to marathon racing is if you didn't have a good marathon, the likely culprit is the training itself. But this idea of being a detective afterwards and really trying to figure out where you might have fallen short, was it training, was it fueling, was it pacing, is going to be really critical. Yeah. And I think in the past, what I, my, most of my bad performances, first of all, we should say this, the vast majority of bad performances are a function of how we are choosing to judge ourselves, not a function of some objective reality, right? Like for me, Eugene was objectively not good, right? That was not a subjective issue. But for a lot of people, they'll say, oh, that was a bad performance. It's like, well, maybe the issue was how you're choosing to look at it or that you went into with unreal ex- unrealistic expectations, right? How are you, when you say it's bad or it was a poor performance, that is a relative statement relative to something whether it's relative to another individual, to what you have done in the past, to what you hope to do into the future, or maybe to unrealistic pacing expectations, maybe to your lack of understanding of how the weather might impact you, or maybe because you didn't look at the race elevation before you went and did it. There can be a million things, but oftentimes these are a subjective reality or a subjective situation, not just an objective reality, and it's almost always a function of what we are choosing to compare them to. I really love that. You know, I had a client once, uh, one of my private coaching clients who ran a PR race, a personal best, you know, and by definition, what is a PR? It's literally the fastest you have ever run a distance. It is by definition, an outlier. It is your peak performance. And she considered it a bad race. And, And I had to do some some real coaching on that because you know I don't think we can ever look at a PR and say that's a bad race. Maybe you're in better shape and should have run a bigger PR, but that's part of the learning process and 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 I really agree with this view that poor races are somewhat subjective. They're relative and I I always consider one of my jobs as a coach to consider all of those extraneous factors that affect performance so that I can be as objective as I possibly can when runners either think they have a really great race or a really bad race. Because sometimes it's not true. Sometimes you have a great race and I'm like, you know what? I think it's even better than you think because of these reasons. Or you have a bad race and I say, well, we didn't plan for it to be 85 degrees outside. And we had to switch your race and now you're running a, a race that has a thousand more feet of elevation gain. You know, we've got to take those into consideration because just like you said, sometimes you have a bad race, but upon further reflection, you actually realize that it was a really good performance considering all those other factors. Right. And it can just mean like, hey, this was a positive in the long run because I learned something from it. Right. So like there might be a race where you're like, all right, in the last, you know, say quarter mile, so the last point one of a 5k, right? Just for round numbers, right? So the last point one of the 5k, you knew that you were coming up against, you were making a decision. Am I going to push through the discomfort that's been building for the last mile, mile and a half? Or did I back off just a little bit? 
I talk about this in the podcast all the time. That last little 1%, only you know it. No one looking at your Strava knows it. No, either. your coach doesn't need to know. But you know whether or not at that last moment you gave in just a little bit or you pushed through. Now, that's an extremely hard thing to do. It's very, very hard to not give in in those moments. But sometimes we do. And that's just the way it goes. The heart that, and we can say, oh, that was a bad race. No, it's not necessarily. It's a good learning experience. First of all, the majority of the race could have been gone really well. And you hit that point, And in retrospect, you say, you know what? I do think that I had more to give. Not like the unrealistic more to give that we all do like five months later when we don't remember how much it hurt. We're talking about like the in the moment, as soon as you cross the finish line, realizing, you know what? I did give in just a little bit there. And I think it could have pushed. That is a positive race experience because then you can reflect on that later. And I think that this is one of those moments where we often judge ourselves differently than we would judge others in a negative sense. Like if it was your friend who ran that 5K, you would talk to them very differently than you would talk to yourself. And I tell when I have a lot of my a lot of my runners who I coach are parents, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, when they get in some of these cycles, I'm like, listen, how would if your daughter ran that race? The same way you just ran it. How would you talk to them afterwards? Like, you don't have to tell me what you would say, but I have a very, I have a strong suspicion that you would talk very differently to her than you're talking to yourself right now. And that usually kind of resets them of like, oh yeah, this wasn't all bad. And the parts that weren't great, it's a learning experience. Okay, we'll just, we'll just, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, extract the learning from this, from the tuition I paid, you know? Oh, another line that I might be stealing, Matt, extract the learning from the tuition I've paid in this race. I think that point is worth exploring because anytime we run a race, we are taking a test. Our training is like studying. The test is when we actually get to show what we know. We actually get to show what our fitness level is at a maximum performance. And that's one of the reasons why I love racing. It gives us the best data possible on what you're capable of as a runner. And, you know, that data is something that we can learn from. And if we have a bad race, you know, part of that detective process is looking at all the different things that could be improved and then trying to improve them the next time you race. And this is often one of the the reasons why I say that very often that racing is a skill. You've got to do it frequently enough to understand it, to get better at it, to understand how you respond to maximum effort performances. And only after frequently racing do you really get good at that skill of racing. And and part of that is just looking back on performances. You know, look back on bad races, mediocre races, good races, PR races, and try to determine what am I doing really well? And also, what am I not doing really well that can be improved? And it's this iterative testing approach to racing that I think then creates runners who are really good at racing. And, and I think you, you kind of have to get away from running like two marathons a year and that's all you do. You know, I think the shorter races is where there's much more opportunity to test yourself and to learn because you can just run a lot more of those races. And, you know, it's like one of those things, you know, you have a bad mile or two mile or 5k race. It's almost like, who cares? You know, just run another one next week, set up a season where you have three, five, seven short races clustered within a, you know, six to 10 week period. And that's your, you know, quote unquote championship phase of your season. And you will get good at racing. I find that to be such an exciting uh, endeavor for runners because it really takes the learning up to a whole new level. I like that. And I'm, 
like from an academic perspective, I was always a good test taker, right? I was a much better test taker than I was someone who like did their work every day to kind of progress, right? So for me, the test taking analogy works great. There's plenty of people listening to this who maybe aren't great test takers or they get really nervous around tests. And that kind of framing might not work for those people. And I think for them, oftentimes you hear this idea of like race day is a celebration. For me, that doesn't quite hit because I think a celebration, I don't think of like pushing myself to my limit. So maybe that language doesn't work for me, but it might work for someone else. I think another way of looking at it is it's a culmination of what you're doing. I think the maybe an analogy or metaphor, I don't know which one it is, uh, would be like the stand-up comic who does little show after little show, little, little show, honing their material, honing their jokes, getting the language just right, figuring out the timing of the joke, figuring out which order the jokes should go in, right? All of that. And then all of a sudden they're, they're taping their Netflix special. At that point, it's the culmination of this year, year and a half, six months amount of work that they've done. So it's not a celebration. They're not up there just like partying all the time. They're doing their craft, but it's the culmination point, right? They're not thinking anymore. They're just going out there and they're just laying it down because they've put in all of this work. And I think that for people who may have some test anxiety or get the, the palm sweats when they think of the 5K as a test, I think maybe framing it that way might might alleviate some of the stress. Yeah, I like that too. I, I really like that. And you know, one of the, the sayings I'm very fond of is that racing is just a logical extension of your training. You know, kind of like, you know, if you're undertrained for a marathon, you're gonna get what you pay for. If you're not trained properly for that marathon, it's not a logical extension of your training because your training hasn't been enough. It hasn't been substantial enough. And so looking at a race as, you know, this is just kind of like another workout. It's a little bit different. I'm going to approach it a little bit differently. But, you know, if I'm training really well, it's just an extension of that. And, and, I, and I think that is very similar to that approach. And, and I really like that. Matt, this was a really great discussion. I, I really enjoyed all these different perspectives on coming back from setbacks and obstacles that we're all going to experience as runners. And, and I think this is one of those things that I might be coming back to, you know, the next time I get hurt or the next time I have to take some unplanned time off so that I can get my head right and approach my comeback in the most productive and effective way possible. Um, before we leave, you have a really interesting project that uh, I think our listeners might be interested in called Relay. You've assembled this, you know, Avengers team of incredible people <laughs> to participate in it. Can you talk a little bit more about what Relay is and, and you know, what you're planning to do with it? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so excited. So this is coming out on September 8th, correct? This episode? I, I have no idea, actually. Relay is launching. It just launched. If you listen to this, it just launched. It's launching on Wednesday, September 7th. I am so excited for this. So basically, Relay, it's a collaborative effort amongst some what we think are some of the best people in running. We have Lindsey Hine, Marcus Brown, Mike Coe, otherwise known as Kafuzi, who's one of the top shoe reviewers on uh, YouTube. We have Zoe Rome, the editor-in-chief of Trail Runner Magazine, Stephanie Flippin, USATF 100-mile champion, Peter Bromka. You know, no, uh, you know, everyone who's listening to this show knows Peter. He's been on a bunch of times, one of the top writers in the space. Carolyn Sue, the creator of Diverse We Run, and Kara Goucher, who needs no introduction. We are all coming together to form a Patreon bundle where we're going to be putting out the best, most creative and collaborative running content on the internet. We're going to be putting out 20 pieces of content a month. We're going to be doing four live shows 
per month, all on Patreon. This is not at the Patreon thing where, you know, where some people will have like, all right, this is just a, a, a tip jar. And if you want to support me, great. I love those. I support people on that. We're using Patreon because it's a paywall in a box, basically. So instead of instead of like hiring a tech person to run our website with all the payment part of it, this is a, a subscription service that we're running on Patreon. And we are so excited about it. This is going to be a full-fledged website with some of the best writing podcasts and videos in the running space. And we just cannot be more excited about this. And I think for the most part, not only are you getting some people who've done some really solid work in a solo capacity, I think the secret sauce here is getting everyone working together to, to create really creative, highly collaborative work in the sense where one plus one equals five in this sense, right? You're getting Kara Goucher and Lindsay Hine and Carolyn Sue working on like a book review live show where there's interaction with the guests and you get the author in there as well. Like who doesn't want that, right? I think that's the kind of thing where you see name brand media companies in running. I'm not going to name names, but you know them. They led the space for decades, right? But fortunately, that magazine model doesn't, isn't sustainable anymore, right? It just isn't. A lot of these places aren't even putting out magazines anymore. And a lot of people are going that route. The media landscape has shifted. There's solopreneurs who are doing great stuff. People like you, people like Mario Fraioli, people like Ali Feller. Great stuff. I support all you guys. And I think that we all saw that there was an opening in the marketplace for this collaborative work that in a group setting. Also, work that isn't purely, it isn't ad sponsored. This isn't sponsored content, right? The Brandley Runner podcast is sponsored content. We have sponsors and stuff like that, but it's not SponCon. This is not advertising. This is a subscription model. It's $9 per month and it's a full transparency, right? All of us are splitting the revenue evenly amongst all nine people. And I think that's going to be a selling point because you know where the money's going. And ultimately, we have big, we have, we have big, big, big goals. I think this is going to be an extremely impactful website. And I think that the content in it, if you like running and you like running podcasts, and if you're listening to this at our, after at the 74 minute mark of the strength running podcast, and you love running podcasts, this is the kind of thing that is right up your alley. And we are really excited about this. I'm excited about it too. And I can't wait to sign up because it, it just seems like you've amassed this incredible roster of diverse content creators and almost like celebrities in the running space who are able to talk about running in, in such a wide variety of ways, in you know, such a wide variety of mediums that it's going to be really, really interesting, but also just really effective. It's going to be really helpful to runners. And so uh, I can't wait to check it out. We're recording this before it goes live, but uh, as soon as it does launch, I'll be, I'll be joining up and, and I can't wait to dive in. And I'm going to have a link to the relay site in the show notes so people can learn more about it. And I was more than happy to, you know, kind of promote this for you, Matt, because, you know, you're, you're a friend. And I think what you're doing right now is, is really helpful, not just to the running community, but also these creators, you know, we're not giving money to some large corporation, you know, we're, we're kind of supporting the people who are on the ground, working with runners, helping runners, creating some of this a little bit niche content. But content that I think is far superior to what you might find at, at some of the larger organizations. So I'm super excited about it. Congrats on, on getting it together and launching it. I can't wait. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. And I, and I couldn't agree more. And I think that there's a space for the solopreneurs. Again, like you, Ali, Mario, like you guys are doing great work. 
And then I think there's another space and you're seeing it already populated, right? We're seeing what Sidious Mag did around the world championships that really brought them to a new level. We're seeing what Free Trail has done in the last three months in the trail running uh, area, right? Dylan Bowman, Ryan, the Trail Society ladies, they're, they are crushing it, right? Yeah, Corinne Malcolm, Kelly Henninger, Hillary Allen, that whole group is is doing so well. So what tra- what Free Trail is doing for trail running, what Sidious Mag do is doing for professional running, Relay is going to be doing for dedicated amateur runners. And I think that that is um, right now, again, I'll, I, I, I have big goals and I'm not going to say all of them right now, but I, I think this is going to be the future of, of, uh, of running media. And I think that moving away from this purely ad-driven model, I think there's a place for it, but I don't think it's the only way of doing it. And I think if you love high-level running content, that this is going to be for you. It's simple. It's patreon.com forward slash relay. And we're going to have um, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok presence as well that handles our relay underscore site for all of them. So relay underscore S-I-T-E at all of those social media apps. Thank you so much, Matt. Links are in the show notes. And until next time, buddy. Let's do it. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to see all the details of Relay, which is providing its first week of content for free to everyone. Go to patreon.com slash relay to learn more. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it all possible. A big thanks to Ice Barrel for helping me publish this episode. Learn more about how they can help you at icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning. And code strengthrunning will save you $125 on your own barrel. They make at-home ice barrels that you can use for ice baths that don't take up an entire room. And they're lightweight enough that even I can carry it without help. (laughs) They're an easy drain system, and it's made in the United States from 100% recycled material. But the real reason I love a good cold plunge is because of the mental benefits. You might actually be surprised to hear that I don't think ice baths are great to use all the time. Yes, it's true. They can reduce inflammation, pain, and blood flow, which will help reduce the effects of muscle damage and really jumpstart the recovery process. But runners don't actually want to do this after every single run. It'll short circuit the adaptation process because some inflammation is a good thing. It helps us adapt and improve. Instead, cold plunges are great for when you do need extra recovery. Like if you accidentally run a lot longer than you planned, or if you ran that workout on your training plan much faster than prescribed. For those times when extra recovery is a good thing, then it's time for that ice bath. Plus, the mental benefits are profound. It's been shown to reduce depression and anxiety, improve mood and brain function, And even five minutes in a good cold plunge will give you a great shot of dopamine after you get out. If you can sit in an ice bath up to your shoulders, you probably won't have any mental issues with racing a negative split and finishing strong. Go to icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning and use discount code strengthrunning for $125 off your barrel. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy. What can I say? Pizza and fries are my kryptonite. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I'm training really hard or I'm just busy and don't have time to super focus on my diet. One scoop of AG1 is going to give you 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients 
including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any gaps in my diet because, look, I know I don't eat perfectly, and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. I really love the immune-supporting benefits of AG1, which is great because all three of my kids are now back in school, and I'm no match for all those germs. But what I really love about AG1 is that they continually change the formula. Over the last decade, they've made 53 improvements based on the latest research to make these nutrients more absorbable and more rigorous with third-party testing. Go to athleticgreens.com Jason to see the great offer they've put together for podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment or a monthly subscription if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show, friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And I'm always here to help, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site or messaging me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is Jason Fitz one Until next time, 